I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. This is your host, CEO Chuck Sexton. I am joined today by a very special guest. As always, we have special guests on this show. That's all we want on this show. And today's is very near and dear to my heart. We grew up near each other in the deep backwaters of Western Kentucky. Uh, He's been a mentor and a champion of economic development, someone I've learned quite a bit from in my career. And now uh, he is with CSX Railroad. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jody Lassiter. Hey, thank you, Chuck. It's great to join you this afternoon. Well, you know, uh, the, the listeners have gotten used now that I have a uh, bourbon poured when I do these episodes and I'm trying to pick out a bourbon for each and one of the things I think would be good for the listeners is to kind of hear your uh, professional background what you did before you ever even got into economic development and then economic development how that led to where you are now and I picked a bourbon based on how you started your career back in the day and I'm drinking Old Forester's Statesman because to me, Jody Lasseter is a statesman. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much. Um, yes, I am a, an attorney by training. Uh, went to University of Louisville Law School, graduated in 1994 after going to undergrad at the University of Mississippi and graduating there in 1991. Uh, never had any expectation of being in economic development as a career, uh, focused on the law. Of course, I wanted to use the law as a means by which I could engage in the public sector, serve somewhere in the public sector. Um, Government politics has always been a great interest of mine. And so um, immediately after law school, I clerked for Judge Rick Johnson on the Court of Appeals in Mayfield, Kentucky, down in our Western Kentucky home in the Purchase area of Kentucky. And uh, during that time period, had the opportunity to uh, work on Paul Patton's campaign for governor and was uh, selected to be his campaign chairman for Callaway County. Ironically, I had known uh, then Lieutenant Governor Patton since 1987 when I was uh, in high school, met him originally as an 18-year-old and had the opportunity to work on both of his lieutenant governor campaigns in uh, 1991 and 1987. So I got to establish the relationship. Economic development is all about relationships, right? And so uh, it was a family friend who introduced me to uh, then Pike County Judge Executive uh, Paul Patton, who was running for lieutenant governor. He lost that first race in 1987. Then uh, was successful in 1991. This coincided with the time that I was graduating from high school and graduating from college. And uh, just after law school, had the opportunity to uh, move from being kind of the gopher and youth chairman in Callaway County and to be his uh, full county chair uh, for Callaway County in 95. And so thought that I would just be hanging out my shingle in, uh, in Murray, county seat of my home community. And, um, you know, being involved in politics locally, potentially looking at a local or a state um, elected office, potentially legislature. And so um, was asked to come to Frankfurt to serve in the administration 
as uh, Governor Patton's Western Kentucky liaison, basically his field representative for the 27 Western counties of the state. And during that time period, kind of stepping from a legal role, um, I had the opportunity to develop relationships with the economic development professionals, county judge executives, mayors, all over the Western end of the state, one of which uh, was uh, a dear friend of both of ours, Judge Mike Miller in Marshall County, who was a great mentor to me uh, being from Western Kentucky. And so during that time period, over eight years, uh, not only served as uh, the Western Kentucky liaison field representative, uh, then stepped up to be director of that office and oversaw all of the field representatives uh, across the state in multiple regions. And then in the second term, uh, Governor Patton uh, did me the great honor uh, in entrusting me at 31 years of age to be commissioner of the Department for Local Government, which is Kentucky's community development agency and uh, primarily a funding agency for economic development, housing, public projects such as water, sewer, community center projects, both state and local funding, such as um, the community development block grant program that flows through DLG. Uh, so that was a great honor to, to be able to serve as the uh, youngest agency head in the cabinet. That At that point in time, the DLG commissioner was uh, a member of the governor's cabinet and was cabinet rank. So uh, very honored to have the opportunity to uh, participate as one of the agency heads at such a young age. And with that knowledge, at the end of the administration, when the coach turned to a pumpkin, <laughs> um, I hung out my shingle for a year and kind of determined, okay, am I gonna practice law? What am I gonna do next? And um, it, the opportunity to, to go directly into community and economic development uh, down in Logan County, Kentucky, Russellville, uh, where they had had a stint without a director for several years. And my objective and uh, my task was to rebuild the economic development program there in Logan County, which uh, I did on a three-year contract. Uh, then to Danville, Kentucky, where I was uh, the present CEO of the Danville-Boyle County Economic Development Partnership for 14 years um, at that point looking for a change from the community level of economic development and had the wonderful opportunity to join the CSX business development team in August of 2021. So Long to answer. me, you know, it, it is, it is, but what people don't understand a lot of times is that when you meet someone at a conference, you meet someone in the economic development, economic development profession, and you get to talking to them and they're giving you advice you know, sometimes when you're a younger professional, you don't really take the advice as seriously as you should. You don't know the background of that individual. And I think it's important for folks to understand that we have some great legacy experience uh, in the profession. Um, you right. went through uh, Absolutely. you went through your bio there and you think about the experience you had on the political side, on the state side of seeing how uh, obviously politicians think about economic development, job creation, and you were entrusted to run the Department of Local Government at such a young age, and you had all that experience built in, that's all legacy experience that you still carry with you to this day that informs your decision making and informs, you know, how you work with communities and how you help them, uh, even in your new role at CSX. And, you know, uh, I saw that exactly when right. you came over for the Build Ready site uh, thing that we had in Johnson County. You knew half the people that were there already <laughs> because they were <laughs> folks that you had served with on the state level. And so to me, I think, um, you know, you've always been someone that I leaned on for, for advice from time to time, just because of your experience and, and what you've done. And of course, uh, Governor Patton was a good friend uh, of mine as well here uh, in Eastern Kentucky while I was here uh, doing economic development. I got to know him really well. And he was, I think, my second guest when I took over the podcast uh, from Chad. So uh, if you haven't uh, heard that episode, that's a good one to go back and listen to uh, from a few fantastic. weeks back. I, and, I have. Uh, I owe him a great debt of gratitude. Um, how awesome it is for me, never even knowing that I was going to wind up in economic development as, as the focus of my career. And you're exactly right. The relationships and the experience that you build, no one truly goes to school, quote unquote, to go to economic development as a career. We all come from somewhere else. Now that's more of a career path that's available for younger generations. And I envy that. Uh, but uh, to be able to learn at the feet of a master like uh, Governor Patton, 
Uh, he was the economic development governor for Kentucky uh, in my lifetime, and uh, he was the full package as Pike County Judge Executive to, to write the Kentucky Rural Economic Development Act that uh, basically uh, gave Kentucky the tools for incentives that were competitive, particularly in the rural areas of the state that are impacted by higher unemployment, poor roads, uh, other factors that go into that uh, certification of being what was a Creta County then and is now an enhanced county in Kentucky today. You know, he wrote the book uh, for incentives that are still the cornerstone of Kentucky's incentives. Um, he was the first to engage as a governor with workforce development when he, his vision was that we needed to take the community and technical college system and make it a, a co-equal to the University of Kentucky and other colleges and universities in the state because of the critical importance that our community and technical college system has for local communities in training tomorrow's workforce. Um, What's amazing about that too is that if you look around the South and, and as I travel and meet other people, even now in, in this role at Next Move group, folks know who Paul Patton was. They know who he is. They know what he yes. did as governor in Kentucky, and especially those of our seasoned professionals. And so for you to have a chance to serve under him as governor uh, and to serve on his campaign and to do the things that you've done, I, I think one, that gives you a breadth of experience that can inform maybe the way people feel today. Because one of the things, Jody, I've noticed is that, and, and it's not in one particular state or another, it, it seems like everywhere I go right now, we're working in, gosh, I think 16 different states right now as a firm. And it seems like in every single one of them, there's strife. There, there seems to always be some sort of strife between the state and the local economic developers. If you were to kind of put your finger on where you think the breakdown is between state level uh, folks and the local folks. What is there anything in particular you think you could put your, your finger on there? Well, I'm honored to uh, work now in four states uh, as the business development manager for CSX in Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, including the District of Columbia. And I have not seen that kind of strife between the state and local levels. Uh, which I'm very, very thankful for because I've heard of those issues in the past. Um, and I've experienced a little bit of that in, in, in some respects in Kentucky many years ago. But um, from the standpoint of the local level, I think it's often a situation in which the state and in Kentucky, the Cabinet for Economic Development has always had the preeminent role uh, in working with uh, out-of-state prospects and then uh, coalescing the local communities together to make a very strong effort. Um, I think issues of strife have been more in the past when the state economic development organizations may have felt that there was not a strong local level of expertise and understanding of economic development and that all too often um, political perspectives may get involved in the prospecting and recruitment process and could potentially be a turnoff or an embarrassment for the state or, or potentially run a prospect away. I think that has drastically changed because uh, states realize that uh, the local economic development professional is a critical partner and that we have built uh, quality professionals at the local level over the last 20 to 30 years have seen, uh, you know, a sea change in that regard. And so uh, it, it's critical for state and local to work together. And really, the locals can be the hand and feet uh, for the state in being recruitment partners, being marketing partners, as we have done in Kentucky with Kentucky United, uh, the marketing cooperative in which both uh, the cabinet utilities uh, as well as local communities are, are directly engaged. So I don't see as much strife today, but I think that that is the point at which there has to be a level of trust by the state economic development team to know that the local economic development team is going to provide the same level of quality, response, effectiveness that they would expect uh, anywhere across the country. 
Yeah, professionalism. They, they want to see professionalism from the local right. level. I agree with that. And that's something that uh, I was always taught um, in my career was that you market to the state and you you go up there and you meet with them and, and treat them as a partner. You're trying to sell on your community and yourself as much as you would a prospect or anyone else because they need to trust that you have the wherewithal as a professional uh, to be able to handle projects, even if you have to handle them on your own uh, and trust you enough as well uh, to bring you into projects. You know, I, I think, um, you know, right. one thing that state associations have done a good job of is, is training and education. Like SDC, IEDC, OUEDI, all these different opportunities for training for the profession. But sometimes I believe that we need more opportunities for um, some of those finer training pieces, things that aren't necessarily part of a curriculum but are things that need to be understood by professionals. Right. And, and one of those, again, is get out there in front of your state leaders and sell to them like you would a prospect. Make sure that they understand what you bring right. to the table and have be able to have open, honest dialogue without hurt feelings. You know, the state, you know, in my opinion, states need to be able to be honest with communities and communities need to be able to be honest with states. And, and together, if they're both open Absolutely. and willing to do that, knowing that, knowing that they're coming from the same page, knowing that both of them, want to be successful. And if they're able to accomplish that and get in that mindset, they can really uplift both of their jobs, both their levels and the things that they're doing. No, you're exactly right. And that's where I believe firmly that the qualitative aspect of networking with those that can be good economic development mentors is critical for those that are starting in the profession, that are junior in the profession, if you will, and growing in the profession. Uh, because learning from your peers and those that have been in economic development for uh, several years and have uh, war stories and experience to share, that's critical. But I also have to endorse the quantitative side of professional development. Take every opportunity to uh, possibly not only take your basic economic development course in your state or where it's available in the region, uh, one or more times, and I know that some have taken the BEDC multiple times, but if you want yeah. to build upon that, uh, take a few extra courses from IEDC or go to, as I did, and graduate graduated from the Oklahoma University's Economic Development Institute, take that opportunity for that 40-hour course uh, over a period of, of three years for 120 hours uh, that if you so desire, and I have not desired to do so, uh, that you can actually sit for the Certified Economic Development uh, Professional Exam, um, if that is your choice. For me, uh, I opted to, uh, to to join the Advanced Economic Development Leadership Program that is offered through uh, uh, Clemson University, University of Southern Mississippi, the University of Northern or New Mexico, excuse me, and Texas Christian University. It's a, a consortium of four colleges that are offering an awesome opportunity for senior executive economic developers to refresh their skills, to continue to keep up with the trends. So um, I think it's a combination of networking as well as being very intentional about building and continuing to burnish your skills in economic development. And yes, that includes engaging with your state leaders and making sure that they know you uh, and sharing with them about uh, your concerns, issues, and make it a two-way street. You know, Jody, that program you're talking about is something that I'm not completely familiar with. It sounds very, very interesting. Is that something you could send me some information on? That's something I want to learn more about as we talk with professionals around the country. A absolutely, because uh, it was founded, I think, as an alternative to the IEDC uh, certification program. Uh, no offense to the CFD program. It's a fantastic program if you choose to take that route. Um, for me, having taken the bar and successfully passed it, thank God, uh, I was just not interested in taking uh, yet another exam um, <laughs> for, for the CFD certification. So Neil Wade, who was formerly uh, the chief economic development executive for the state of Alabama, uh, particularly for the Mercedes project, uh, he is well known because of uh, that big fish that he landed during that time period. Uh, he uh, had the vision to start AEDL, and I will be glad to share that information with you 
Neil continues to work with uh, USM, Southern Mississippi, uh, to host that program. I believe they're now on their uh, fifth cohort uh, and are in the process of recruiting right now for the fall. It goes for an entire year, essentially from uh, late fall to early spring with some uh, fantastic programs, basically two sessions, so easy to take financially, uh, but uh, also really helps in keeping you focused on what are the new trends, uh, what should you be focusing on as uh, a senior economic development executive? Uh, where can you continue to uh, keep up and, and burnish your skills? So I'll be happy to share that with you. No, I appreciate that. We work with USM on quite a few things as well. Uh, Chad's very close with them, uh, obviously, as a lot of people know. And so I'll look into that myself and uh, maybe something we can suggest to some young professionals out there and seasoned professionals as well uh, as they go through their careers. So sure, I want to take a quick break and listen to uh, our sponsor first. But uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about where you're at now with CSX and some of the trends that you all see coming. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. Perfect. I've got a fresh uh, glass of Statesman bourbon here in honor of my friend Jody Lassiter, <laughs> our guest today. And, um, you know, you, you got to hear in the first segment there, folks, a lot about Jody's background and the experience that he has. <clears throat> I want to talk now about what Jody's doing with CSX. You know, you've, you've gone into the railroad industry. I've known what, what I've <laughs> what I call the railroad barons. I remember <laughs> when I went to the first <laughs> state association conference, Mike Manget, who was the president of KED at the time, uh, didn't know where to stick me uh, when we were playing the golf outing. And he said, Chuck, I've got the perfect crew for you. I'm sticking you with the railroad barons. And <laughs> he put me with uh, the folks from uh, CSX, um, um, Canadian National and uh, Paducah and Louisville Railroad on that golf awesome. outing. And I had a blast with all those, all those gentlemen and remain friends with them through my career. They're all retired now. Um, and um, so to me, it's re really interesting to see you know, a friend of mine like you who, who's going into the railroad business, and I'm interested. I know what I'm starting to see from a site selection side of things, but I want to know what you're seeing from the railroad side uh, as far as trends in the marketplace, where the economy's headed, what you feel uh, is the future for logistics with the railroad, all those different topics. Sure. Uh, after 17 years at the local level, I was ready for a change, and uh, I knew that my opportunity to continue economic development from a different perspective would probably be through a utility, um, potentially through a law firm that, that practices in the area of economic development incentives and or real estate practice. Uh, the opportunity to, to uh, join CSX was uh, unexpected, but uh, one which I am extraordinarily thankful and, and blessed to have been given the opportunity to join a team like CSX. Uh, CSX has a dedicated business development team. Uh, in the past, it was called the industrial development teams. So they broadened that uh, title. And so I, I work with um, five other professionals that uh, serve regions of the Eastern United States, which is uh, specifically targeted to the Eastern United States where CSX 
presence is in their network, uh, primarily east of the Mississippi River. And so each of us have state responsibilities, multiple state responsibilities, and specifically working with new industrial prospects that are focused upon the need for rail. And, and as you well know, uh, most of those projects are going to be considerably large projects. The first project that I was honored to be able to work on uh, that came to fruition earlier this year in January was the new Nucor steel mill in Apple Grove, West Virginia. Um, uh, significant capital investment and jobs for uh, an area of Southern West Virginia that definitely have, has welcomed that project in open, with open arms. $2.5 billion of CapEx, 800 jobs in uh, Mason County, West Virginia, and the region. And so uh, generally where rail is going to be involved, it's definitely going to be a, a larger project, uh, heavier industrial project that's going to be dealing in metals, chemicals, you name it. And so uh, it's, it's been really fun uh, to work in a scale of projects which I would not have otherwise worked in the smaller communities that I have focused in rural economic development during the course of my career. So are you seeing it just big projects? Or are you starting to see that a lot of projects, regardless of size, are wanting options for rail right now because of gas prices? Well, you're exactly right. And, and the supply chain challenges that we have, uh, the uncertainty of trucking, not only with equipment, but the uncertainty of being able to secure drivers. I am seeing shorter distances considering rail uh, that would not have considered rail in the past, uh, simply because uh, the longer haul is a greater cost effective advantage to rail. Shorter hauls within you know, an hour drive or so are going to generally uh, be advantageous for trucking, but we're starting to see shorter hauls look at rail simply because of the uncertainty of trucking, uh, both equipment and drivers, and also because uh, even if you're not located on rail, there are companies that are strongly considering the opportunities, whether through our intermodal system uh, or through transload opportunities where uh, they may identify a rail that is located somewhere in the region where the final distance could be delivered by truck after transloading from a rail car uh, for that final delivery. Yeah, and I so was just about we, to ask that question. You, you hit it because that's the next thing I was going to ask was about transloads. I've seen that in several projects recently where, you know, rail doesn't have to be on site. Even if the rail is about 30 miles away, it could be in the next town over it. But if there's a transload facility in a, in a community nearby where they can truck to rail and drop onto that rail and get that benefit, companies are seeking that right now. And so to me, it continues to strengthen the argument for broadening what you promote for your community is, right. is got to be so much more regional based assets. Um, you know, it's not just about what's within city lines or county lines. It never really has been, but with the state of the world and the economy today, hopefully folks are starting to see, especially through some of the projects that are out there, that they've got to broaden, um, you know, what they're promoting uh, into other communities. You're exactly right, Chuck. There are, there are two great misnomers for rail in economic development, and uh, I, I'm trying to use my bully pulpit now to share not only with my economic development peers, uh, but the prospects with whom we are working. Uh, first is that age old issue that economic developers say, well, you know, at the edge of the cornfield, there is a rail line. And so therefore uh, this site can potentially be rail served. Um, not necessarily the case. Uh, just simply because you have a rail line running uh, by a particular piece of property does not mean that it is viably or feasibly rail served. But more importantly for today and the economy that we're facing today, is the fact that just because your facility is not located on rail or you may not have rail within an hour's drive of your location does not mean that you can't take advantage of the cost efficiencies, the environmental sustainability, and the opportunities for rail. Because if there's the opportunity to transload somewhere in the vicinity to a truck 
then you can take advantage of rail as well. And that is really what we're preaching now more than ever. Not only are we seeing uh, the large typical economic development projects that are focused on rail serve sites, and we're assisting in that site selection game. And I really enjoyed that role where we're not in the site selector's shoes, but we're somewhere in that intermediate role between the site selector and or the project and the state and or local economic development organizations. Uh, but we're also working with existing companies that uh, are, are considering the opportunities to take advantage of rail for the first time. And just because they do not have a track somewhere on their acreage does not mean that um, they don't have that opportunity presented to them. So uh, that it, transloading is now one of the fastest inquiries that we are receiving at CSX. And I've really been overwhelmed and amazed by the number of inquiries that we receive uh, of where can I access rail? And it may be on one of our partner short lines. It could be on RJ Corman. It could be on the Appalachian and Ohio. Uh, it could be on the Paducah and Louisville. Uh, it could be on the Buckingham branch. But we're going to be the class one rail uh, partner to make the long haul and potentially work with one of our, our short line partners to bring that commodity to your doorstep or in close proximity. So uh, yes, transloads are a huge sector right now in, in the rail industry. You see that slowing down any? Do you see, you see that probably just continuing to go uh, forward? Chuck, I think it's going to continue to go forward uh, simply because uh, unlike interstate highways, we don't build a lot of new railroad lines. And so uh, sites that are located on rail are a premium. And I preach to my economic development brothers and sisters that you know, you know don't, don't take the easy way out and locate uh, a distribution center for Home Depot on uh, a prime rail site, simply because you need a quick win. And those 400 jobs at that DC uh, are going to be a, a winner for your community because it's short-sighted for the long-term because again, rail sites are a premium. Uh, secondly, I think because of supply chain issues that we're not seeing uh, abate anytime soon, there are consistently going to be uh, drivers for rail to be a greater consideration. It, it's also more ec economically and environmentally sustainable in the long-term. And so I think uh, transloads as well as rail service is going to be uh, a growing factor for economic development projects and existing companies considering their supply chains going forward. Well, and sustainability is going to be a continued hot topic, I think, going forward, especially with FDI projects, um, for in particular coming to the United States. Uh, it seems you know most of the FDI projects that we're working with right now, our, our clients are really focused on sustainability. They want to see environmental, economic, and social sustainability within communities and within their operations. And I think, um, although that's something that I think traditionally economic developers haven't focused as much on, sustainability is something that's kind of got to be in the back of their mind. It's kind of like quality of life. You know, we always heard as economic development professionals, quality of life isn't going to get you in on a deal, but it can help differentiate you when you close the deal. Right. And I feel the same way about sustainability right now. Um, you know, you have to have prepared sites. You have to have quality sites. You have to have build ready pads. You, you know, a lot, a lot of lack of buildings out there right now uh, in the marketplace, but, and you have to have a good labor story, all these different facets that we, you know, we consider the traditional pieces that get you in the door. Um, but you know, along with the quality of life piece, <clears throat> that sustainability piece to me is going to be a differentiator for communities going forward over the next five to, to six years and making plans now as to how they can become a more sustainable, healthy living, uh, walkability community, green spaces, uh, recycling programs, all these things that, you know, companies like to see with communities that they partner with, I think are important. And to me, that's an opportunity for some smaller communities to help differentiate themselves. You know, rural communities, uh, some have done that, some have not, um, but it's a way that rural communities who I think are going to have more opportunities as we continue forward uh, are going to be able to differentiate themselves and land deals. You're exactly right. Environmental sustainability is 
uh, a major initiative that CSX is undertaking. And uh, we're making that a part of our corporate culture. And it's definitely something that we want to make a part of the economic development process. Um, you mentioned the pressure for sites because I referenced the fact that uh, rail sites are a premium. And because of the success that we have had, particularly in the Eastern United States, and particularly in my region, uh, we have exhausted many of the larger sites that CSX is certified through its select program. Uh, we're continuing to seek out those larger sites that uh, communities are making the necessary investments for product development uh, such that we can replenish our pipeline of larger sites that are certified through Austin Consulting, which manages the CSX Select Site Program. However, we are considering uh, a next level or tier of uh, what we are calling unofficially at present, the Select Site Light Program, because we are seeing more and more rail serve projects seeking not necessarily the 1,000 acre or 1,500 acre site, but they're looking for the 500 acre site or the 200 acre site or even the 100 acre site. And so um, CSX is doubling down and focusing on the opportunity to uh, continue to build the product development pipeline to provide quality rail serve sites to our prospects. And we do not see that demand diminishing in the near future. So I do believe that CSX is preparing uh, to position itself to be uh, a provider of excellent quality sites that it endorses and uh, therefore can entrust the site selection community, the corporate decision maker community that we can provide a, a quality site for their project. You know, it's good to hear, you know, that CSX is focused on select sites and certifying sites. I think that's something that's going to continue to be important all around from power companies, rail companies, everyone who's involved in it, states uh, who are looking at product development. You know, uh, there's several states out there who are putting money and funding and incentives into product development right now. I think that's very smart and very wise, especially with some of the federal funding that's out there. You know, continuing to be prepared for when opportunity comes. That's something that we have to always be looking for in economic development. And I appreciate your perspective on all of that. Um, what I'd like to do now, I want to take another quick break uh, before we wrap up with our guest, Jody Lasseter, and we'll come back and maybe talk a little bit about some fun stuff here. In today's Executive Search Spotlight, we're going to look at Operation Oswego County. Oswego County, New York is seeking an executive director. Oswego County is a large county located in upstate New York, right on Lake Ontario. It's located about 40 miles north of Syracuse. Population here is around 117,000, so a very large county. Talk about location. They're 250 miles, give or take, from Montreal. 250 miles from Toronto and 250 miles from New York City. Tons of infrastructure as well. Over 2,000 miles of highway, CX-1 Class 1 rail. They have a deep water port there on the lake, foreign trade zone. And listen to this. They have three, that's right, three nuclear power plants, 10 hydroelectric plants, four natural gas and fossil fuel plants, all in the same county. Talk about existing industry opportunities there. Not to mention they have a county airport and they're just 45 minutes from Hancock International Airport located in Syracuse. Tons of sites and buildings, a lot of good product and an amazing quality of life with year round recreation and tourism. You have hiking, fishing, hunting, trails, boating, everything you could want for quality of life, quality of place, Oswego County has it. Pay is 140 to 160,000 salary, good benefits. If you'd like some more information, visit thenextmovegroup.com backslash Oswego. Welcome back to the We Are Jobs Next Move Group podcast. Chuck Sexton here with Jody Lasseter. And I want to talk a little bit here as we wrap up about when we first got to meet each other. We grew up near each other, but you're, you're a little older than I am. Well, I'll say a little more seasoned than I am. And um, there you go. we got to meet uh, at KAED, a state conference. And I didn't even know that we were from the same area at the time. But do you remember the night we kind of got to know each other? And Covington. Oh, yes. We were we were both out on the sidewalk looking on our, I think at the time we, we had blackberries. So <laughs> yes, we did. An age to us. We were researching on our blackberries where we could find karaoke. 
our mutual love. <laughs> well, it makes sense growing up so close to each other in West Kentucky, but we found karaoke that night. And that night is a night that I will never forget the rest of my life. I don't want to name names or, or call out anything that, that happened that night, but I'll tell you, um, that evening was, was a blast, um, getting to know you and, and, and listening to you sing, uh, Folsom prison blues <laughs> and, um, and then watching our, our good friend, Todd Denham, uh, oh, yes. God rest his Bless soul. His heart. Great, yes. great guy there. Um, he recently Wonderful passed guy. away, good economic developer. And he, he was one of the funniest, uh, brightest lights uh, I've ever met in my life. He was a great economic development guy. And uh, he, he took Holly Hopkins big fur coat and put it on <laughs> and laid out across the uh, pool table and just started acting like a, a pimp the rest of the night. It was one of the, one of the funniest <laughs> things I'll never forget the rest of my life. Well, I knew we would be fast friends professionally as well as personally uh, when, when I learned that uh, you enjoyed karaoke and I have a weakness for old country classic standards, whether it's Johnny or Merle or George or Willie. Uh, and so uh, it has, it, it's, we've always had to take the opportunity to have fun because as I firmly believe, and this is how I was taught, uh, and I know Kentucky economic developers are this way. Quite frankly, I've learned that economic developers every way in the South uh, are this way. Um, you, you work hard and you play hard. And so uh, we have certainly enjoyed one another's company and uh, singing a few tunes when the opportunity affords. You know, I've always told folks, you know, when you're an economic developer, you have a lot of stress. You know, you have to deal with elected officials. You have to deal with board members, the private business sector. Uh, state officials, you have to deal federally, you have to deal with so attorneys all the time and engineers and, and railroad in. people. And, and you've got all these uh, balls in the air that you're juggling constantly. And, and going to a conference is two things to me, you know, going to an SEDC, IEDC, state conference, whatever it might be, it's a respite. It allows you to get amongst your peers, to share war stories, to learn from each other, to learn from professionals. And then also, kind of let loose a little bit because one thing you don't get to do a whole lot in economic development is let loose. You've got to be straight as an arrow in your community and make sure you're representing them professionally and well. And uh, it's sort of like a safe space uh, for economic developers, I think. And I, and I hope people continue to try to enjoy that. I know it put a strain on a lot of people during COVID not being able to go to conferences and, and such. And so getting Absolutely. back out there, I think, has been good for a lot of people. Well, that's, that's why there's such a wonderful esprit de corps uh, among economic developers, uh, not just in, in Kentucky, our native state, but uh, all across the South and being involved, as you have been with the Southern Economic Development Council uh, in, in the other states that I am learning more about and have been uh, thrilled to meet uh, my, my peers and colleagues in, in those three states. Uh, we are people. We are people, people. <laughs> Uh, we're all about relationships. We're all about people. Uh, generally, we uh, work very well together in that regard. And so we enjoy one another. And I think that that's what makes in many respects, from a personal perspective, uh, what makes economic development such a rewarding career with the colleagues and friendships that you make over the years. What's cool about it is we compete against each other all the time. But we also love seeing each other be successful. That's and right. I think that's a unique thing um, in our profession of economic development is, yeah, we're going to compete and we're going we're gonna to push and we're, we're going to play offense hard and we're going to deal and negotiate. But at the end of the day, you see one of your peers win. It fills you with <clears throat> joy and pride and, and you congratulate them. And, and, you know, maybe you can learn some lessons from their win. And um, to me, I think that makes the economic development profession really unique. Uh, and it adds flavor to what we do. And it kind of puts us in a class that, you know, we understand each other pretty well. And sometimes other people don't understand us so much. <laughs> well, that, that's right. And all too often, I, I think in the past, uh, we have allowed county and city boundaries to divide us when boundaries actually unite us. I've always been a huge regionalist. Uh, I, I was in South Central Kentucky and working with the Bowling Green Area Chamber of Commerce when I was in Logan County and working with the South Central Kentucky region uh, and, and marketing together with other uh, professionals from uh, Bowling Green and Glasgow. Uh, it was a major initiative of mine here in uh, South Central area of the bluegrass 
with Kentucky Crossroads, where 11 counties came together uh, unofficially uh, as an organization, but collaborating together and pooling the resources and marketing the region together. Um, I think you, we just have to look at those opportunities that rather than dividing us, boundaries unite us. And those are the relationships that are critical to being very, very successful. Uh, and, and yes, because we're all interconnected, when a neighboring county wins, that rising tide lifts all boats. At least that's always been my professional philosophy. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, and, and you know, I was blessed to be able to run a regional organization and there you see go. both the opportunities, the optimism, the great things that can come from it, and also get a chance to see what things hold those back. You know, that's something I've talked about internally at Next Move Group is something that I want to bring as part of a, a planning piece that we can do to assist areas. Because one thing that I think needs to be shared more often is strategies around creating regionalism. And uh, I'm not sure a lot of people have done that. Um, and, and having the experience of going and building a regional organization in a rural area, a very rural area, right? where historically that area uh, had, you know, it was clannish. And it's not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, the Scotch-Irish settled the area and they were very tight woven uh, folks within their communities. And, um, you know, then you have modern day football rivalries <laughs> and political divides, but right. what was great was seeing uh, politicians, local officials, state officials come together, celebrate with one another, work together across county lines and get deals done that uplifted the region. And, you know, there's there's pitfalls, there's opportunities, and there's things that you can do to build those programs and those regional organizations to be successful long term. And so hopefully, you know, the one that I was a part of continues to flourish and grow. Uh, and I hope to see that more often across other rural parts uh, of the Southeast and Midwest and, and other parts of the U.S. Well, you referenced early on in our conversation that uh, at times there may have been uh, points of strife between state and local communities. I firmly believe that the bridge to continue to build stronger relationships between the state economic development organizations and the local county or city uh, economic development organizations is the regional approach. Because uh, together, multiple counties, and we have, we have too many of them in Kentucky. And of course, I'll always be a Callaway Countyan, but we have the third most per capita counties of all the states in the union, Texas being first, Georgia being second, Kentucky is third. And uh, even in states with, far fewer counties that I have seen and, and wonderful examples in, in Virginia, particularly uh, the regional efforts that are being undertaken only strengthens all the counties and the quality of their economic development efforts together. And that just creates a, a larger reservoir of trust for our state economic development organizations. So I think yeah. the, the regions and being more intentional about regionalism in Kentucky, and we've, we've had ups and downs in that regard, where regional organizations have thrived, uh, a few have fallen by the wayside, but that is the bridge, I think, that only strengthens the relationship between state and local. Yeah, I agree with you on that 100%, and, and hopefully that's something we'll see going forward, and, and again, that's something we're going we're gonna to build out a program to assist with uh, at Next Move Group as, as Ivy and I continue to, to grow the, the services that we offer as a firm, and you know, I've, I've been really blessed uh, to be able to come on board as CEO of this organization, and and get to work with all the great people that we're getting to work with so far. And, and, you know, we're inundated right now uh, with uh, clients and requests. And that's a wonderful thing because, you know, when you're passionate about people, when you're passionate about this profession and you want to see communities thrive and grow, uh, it just, it makes your work better. It makes your life better. Uh, it, it, you deliver better to them. And, you know, hopefully folks will see that through our staff and, and through our firm. And, and, you know, you're someone who I always felt uh, was that same mindset, very passionate, uh, about communities and growth and people and seeing people get opportunities. And so I always appreciate that about you. I, I did well, think of something just a minute ago. The, the Covington story <laughs> we just talked about was not our first interaction. There was oh, another. Was not. You may not remember this. I mentioned earlier, the first conference I ever went to, I got stuck with all the railroad barons for golf. That okay. evening, that was a hot day. 
And the resort we were staying at had a pool. The pool was closed. And a group ah, of us decided to yes. sneak into that pool. <laughs> yes. I, we all wanted to cool off, I recall. Yep. And it, no, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just, hey, you know what? I mean, it's a hot night. Let's let's just go sit in the pool. And then we realized the pool was closed. And we got over there and we climbed the fence. It was a very spiky fence. We hung out for a little, you know, maybe 45 minutes, just chilled out in the pool for a little bit. And we were climbing back out. And we had to use a table to get back over the fence. And if you remember, I you were the last one over. I caught yep. my foot and you, you saved the day. <laughs> I caught you. I wanted to, I wanted, didn't want, did not want you to get impaled on that fence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know not, why not. I had, I had forgotten about that literally until just a few seconds ago, it hit me. And um, it's just, I don't know. It's funny. It, I, that was a defining moment for me going to that conference for the first time when, when I got sent over to it to, to meet a lot of folks. And that gave me a flavor of what, this economic development profession is about and, and what the people are like and, and uh, been in love with it ever since. So, Well, you develop uh, especially close relationships, and I would be remiss if I did not congratulate you on uh, becoming CEO of the Next Move Group. Uh, I, I definitely commend Chad for putting the band back together, if I could say that, uh, because uh, you're an outstanding addition to his team. And uh, I'm thrilled for you, as well as Ivy, as COO, uh, having watched the trajectory of your career uh, from Paducah to today. Uh, that is another one of the great joys that I have in seeing uh, friends in the profession thrive, succeed, progress. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of you, my friend. I appreciate that. You know, I've I've uh, I've had plans of my own for a long time, and and uh, this was part of my long term plan as a as an individual within my career and my profession, and and uh, you know we're going to continue to push the the ball forward. One thing that we make sure we try to do is keep our finger on the pulse of the market, of the economic development profession, and and of the site selection profession, and ensure that we're putting out content and education and opportunities and services. Uh, that clients can take advantage of that give them actionable things that they can do to be successful. I mean, it, and it's really refreshing and, and, and it's fun. It is so fun, Jody, when we sit down, cause we have executive team meetings uh, two, three times a week uh, internally. And, and a big part of our, our daily routine or our weekly routines are, are, th are thinking through. I mean, we put on our calendars time, to really sit down and understand what can we be doing better for the people out there who need our help and who need these services and who need to keep at the forefront of what they're doing on the local level. And that's just, you know, to, to me, that's as fun as it gets. Uh, and and it, it's, it's wonderful. And, and I can't wait for, to see what the, the, the future continues to hold for, for our firm and for, for us as individuals. Absolutely. And, and keep on, preaching the gospel of professionalism and preparation to our colleagues, because uh, now in this new role, in this new perspective of economic development, uh, now more than ever, I am, I am seeing the same challenges that everyone must up their game uh, and be at the top of their game to be competitive and prepared and professional uh, to receive the prospect. And so uh, I'm, I'm very much impressed by the comments that you have shared uh, most recently in Owensboro at the KAD conference this spring, but I've heard you uh, reference those messages in, in other settings uh, from this new perspective of economic development. Uh, I, I definitely concur and uh, will continue to cheer you on and I will chime in and share the same message because it's definitely something that we need to do uh, for the communities and states that we serve to make sure that our economic development professionals are prepared and they're functioning at the highest level of professional expertise uh, that they can. Yeah, and I, and I hope people can take, you know, and it's not even criticism, you know, when we talk about these things, it's not, it's not, it's not to be critical. It's, it's to say, look, here's what you're doing great. And from what we're seeing from a trend perspective, here's some areas where you could stumble in the future. And so we just want to make you aware of those. We want to encourage you. Uh, and I also like to point out when I think people are doing things that are really well. And so being in this role and, and especially on the site selection side of things right now, um, I've tried to make a point, you know, what if I'm 
we do a site visit with a community. If, if an economic developer does a phenomenal job with an RFI, if they do a great job with a site visit, I, I try to make sure and bring that up. I try to make sure and send a compliment over to them about that. Uh, if I think a state in particular has implemented a program, uh, I've had a conversation with a state uh, project managers yesterday uh, on this particular thing. There's, there's one particular state who has implemented a program that I think is a great program. And I made sure to tell them that, uh, that I think that they were doing a phenomenal job with it. And to me, you know, if you're going to be an effective professional and, and consultant and you, you know, you want to give advice um, that's taken well, one, you have to make sure and point out the good things. Let's point out the good things that folks are doing and also be able to accept the things that say, okay, here's, here's what's doing great, but, but I'm just giving you a fair warning. Here's some things that could be some pitfalls and some stumbling blocks if you don't take care of those now. And so, you know, we're, we're all just trying to, to help elevate the profession, help, help elevate the industry, uh, because at the end of the day, the, the better we all get, the more opportunities and the more jobs and the more economic progress we see across the United States. And that's the ultimate goal. You know, that's the founding right. principle of Next Move Group uh, of Chad and, and his vision uh, and Alex um, is that they want to see growth and opportunity uh, and, and more economic uh, 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 prosperity across America. Um, and I think that's, that's one of our key tenets as a firm, and we're going to continue that. As competitive as the economic development marketplace is today, um, for the last several, several years, and I've used it in reference to younger professionals who I've had the honor to, to mentor and, and to share my perspectives with, uh, the analogy of the rearview mirror always comes to mind. Um, objects may be closer than they appear. And quite frankly, in the economic development marketplace today, uh, that is without question true because there is a stronger level of professional knowledge, expertise uh, in the economic development profession. Communities are more competitive than ever. Technology has closed the gap and has been a disruptor. Um, so I always encourage anyone to think that if you think that you're ahead uh, of the community next door or the community in another state, uh, always remember that the uh, cautionary tale of the rearview mirror is true. The objects may be closer than they appear when yep, you're competing you're, for a prospect. I agree with that 100%. Uh, and, I, and I get to see it uh, all the time now uh, on these site selection projects where, you know, uh, I've had communities where I think they're going to do a great job. And then this other community that they weren't worried about kind of outdid them. And, and it's amazing to watch and, and it's great to see. But at the same time, it, it, that piece of advice, I think, is really timely uh, right now, especially with, again, the way the market is. Uh, the, what's happening globally with technology and what companies are looking to do and to shore up supply chains and to get closer to the customer base. Uh, I do think, I've said this on several podcasts in a row now, I think that uh, FDI is going to continue to be a growth opportunity here in the U.S. Um, as we continue forward. Uh, yes. And I think communities who are preparing for that uh, are, are going to win. They're going to have more opportunities. So, you know, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, I always like to give my guests the last word. Is there anything, uh, any final adage or piece of advice you'd like to throw out there for our listeners? Well, um, I've always been a fan of President Lyndon Baines Johnson. As a matter of fact, I was born in the waning days of his administration. And I remember reading the wonderful uh, three-part biography by Robert Caro of Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ. And if you haven't read that, I strongly recommend, Chuck, that, that you do read it. It's a study in leadership uh, and, and, and a rise for ambition and uh, succeeding. But um, as he used to say, if you do everything, you will win. And maybe perhaps in Texas politics for LBJ, some of the things that he did wasn't necessarily something that you should have done. But I take that to mean if you take every opportunity to be prepared, if you take every opportunity to be creative and innovative uh, and, and go the extra mile for a site visit, uh, in, in my opinion, you will win. And if you don't win, then you certainly have made a great name for yourself uh, with a site selection consultant, with a, a company that may remember you and who knows, may take the opportunity to invest in your community in the future because of the impression that you made. 
So uh, what I will leave my friends with uh, is a great old saying by LBJ, if you do everything, you will win. And uh, I believe that is how economic development ought to be done. And that has been my mantra uh, since starting in this business back in uh, 2008. Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's a great way to, to wrap up this podcast. Jody, I appreciate you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you very, very much for our friendship and everything over the years. I look forward to working some projects with you this summer. Uh, I know we've had one that we've been working on a little bit. There may be another coming up. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, folks are going to continue to see opportunities out there. So everybody, that's the message of this one for sure. Be prepared, be ready, and grab those opportunities when you can. For the next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast, this is Chuck, and we're signing off. We'll see you next week.